Hello, Alex. Hello, Patrick. I'm no longer in the lobby of a hotel. No, no. Uh, you have you have successfully returned from your trip to Dearborn, Michigan, and you have you have come back a uh, licensed and authenticated TED talker. How That's, do you feel yeah. about that, sir? Ah, uh, you know, I think it went. It's over. That was yeah. my first. The, my first thing when I stepped off the stage is like, it's done. I can now sleep again. I can go get a beer. Like th- that was mostly my consideration. Was not like worrying right. about whether it went well, like whether people enjoyed it, whether it was an effective message. It was just it's over because I have not. I have not slept effectively in in a long time. But you feel like you you finally you're allowed to rest. You've, you've, you your body is at rest. You've 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 gotten back to normal a little bit. Yeah, sorry. All these a bunch of these videos started looping on me in the background. I forgot oh, that our front, I forget that our front, well our front page start like starts video players automatically. Sorry, oh, right. I got completely. So all of a sudden the beginning of our conversation started again. <laughs> I was oh, like, I don't know what's going on. This, oh, that's very maybe, unsettling. Maybe everything really did go wrong after that TED talk. And, oh no. Um. So what, what were you saying? Sorry, I completely. I was just saying. Do you feel? Do you feel like you're starting to get back to normal now? Now that now that it's I all do, over. I do. Yeah, I can finally play some games this week. Um, yeah, I appreciated. You know, everyone. Uh, watching uh, the talk that, that tuned in, uh, it was uh, I, I felt pretty good about it. You know, a TED talk was really difficult to write because I knew like the kind of folks that might be watching it, such as you know people on Giant Bomb, uh, are a very specific audience that essentially the, the talk wasn't crafted for. Uh, right. You know, I wanted it to be to essentially leverage my personal experiences, uh, but speaking to a wider audience and like even more specific still, you know, I wasn't. You know, the live stream didn't start when uh, the, uh, when the when the event did. Uh, it wasn't really clear how well the production was going to be. A lot of that stuff was kind of out of my hands. So essentially, I wrote a talk that would hopefully be effective for, you know, the 200 people in the room. And, right. and, and so to write something like that that is about sort of about video games, but sort of about feedback and basically about a bunch of things that maybe some people in the room could relate to but but trying to somehow humanize it in a way that that uh other people could empathize with um even if they they didn't have firsthand experience with a lot of those things so i found that like the the challenge of writing it was kind of the whole reason uh, that i did it i sort of considered the whole talk to be sort of a a first draft of of something that i find pretty interesting uh, and Mm -hmm. that it's something i'd like to explore further in whether it's you know writing articles or doing interviews or, or doing other talks, because um, it's one of those things that you know when the opportunity presented itself, I I sort of balked at it because the entire reason I'd submitted a talk was kind of as a joke. It was mostly just as an exercise to say, all right, well I wonder what it's like to come up with a like a speech pitch, and so so I made one, and then I got picked, and then it was suddenly, hey, now you've got to actually do it, right. and and so for me, I, I've tried to just keep this in perspective in that. Like I was nervous leading up to it, mostly just because I get I get nervous before we go on stage for the pack stuff, mm-hmm. and then once we actually start, it's fine. Like then you know it's kind of too late, and you just kind of ride ride the dragon all the way through. But it's 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 all those moments leading up to the actual uh, going up on stage, and that was the case with with the TED talk as well, where I was not really that nervous about giving it, but it was sitting there all day like stewing over it in your mind, like thinking about it, overthinking things that you had already sort of settled on as either being a strength or a weakness of the talk and just trying to, to just just keep yourself as grounded as possible before you actually gave it, which meant I would like have a couple sips of coffee and then notice that my hands were shaking a little bit more than normal and that I mm-hmm. probably had too much coffee and then right. I should probably just drink water for the rest of the day because probably the last thing I had to worry about was actually uh, falling asleep. Yeah, I would think not. So I uh, I managed to catch the tail end of it. Um, I when it was live, I was on the road most of that day, and I had timed it. I thought just so that I could get to the ho- our, our hotel in time for me to to sit down and, and watch it once it started. But literally, when we got to the hotel, uh, as soon as the elevator doors closed behind us on our floor, the fire alarm went off, uh, <laughs> and we had to go outside for like like twenty five minutes. So when I turned it on, you were in kind of like the last home stretch of the of 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 the of the whole speech, but uh, I will say that the thing I was most impressed by, uh, other than sort of just kind of the, the the tone and tenor of the talk itself, was the fact that you have that presentational style down, man. You have that thing of just kind of, you know, you're kind of casually walking around, you're, you know, you know how to kind of present that information in a very, you know, measured, thoughtful way that doesn't sound like you're kind of being sort of, you know, condescending to the audience. You're just, you know, 
I'm, I, you must have watched a lot of TED Talks, is what I'm guessing. No, I actually I try not to. And what actually would almost freaked me out. That's even more la- impressive. What freaked me out in the last week was, uh, I'm sure people are familiar with it, because people started linking it to me, thinking that yeah. I would find it funny, and instead it terrified me, was Patton Oswalt essentially did like a complete takedown of TED Talks. Like as right. a bit, I think on on Conan or Fallon or something like that. So I didn't watch it because I was already like not totally sure how I felt about this, and the last thing I needed was like a comedian I really respected tearing this stuff apart. Um, but then I, I talked to some. There were a bunch of awesome giant bomb folks that that showed up uh, to watch the talk and to, and to hang out afterwards um, in Dearborn. And one of the things that we talked about, and, and what was a, a huge ta- uh, challenge for actually writing the, the damn thing, was mm-hmm. like I know what people think about TED Talks, and like I'm I'm fairly cynical about a lot of them too. And and I think if I had to draw sort of like a a line uh, in in which TED Talks often fail, or or the reason people have become sort of disenchanted with them, uh, it's often because TED Talks are often super idealistic in a way right. that is not actually uh, applicable to your real life or you can't leave it and feel like you came away with something that you could uh, make a difference in your life or someone else's life. And so they're so aspirational that in, in some level, you know, that's having stuff that is purely just, you know, maybe not realistic, but just aspirational. There, there's, there's room for that, but it also can get sort of tiring uh, at a right. certain point when um, it kind of is kind of the same thing over and over. And then the other thing that I've found from the TED Talks I did watch and then also people I've talked to that don't like TED Talks was that some of the stories that are told are so very specific to that person that you end yeah. up having the very same problem, which is that, you know, it's great this person has this wonderful story and that it, you know, worked for them, but nothing about that is going to help anyone in the audience. And sure. and so I tried to, and I don't know if it was entirely successful, but I, I felt like the, 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 the line I tried to straddle was using personal experience to uh, illuminate sort of takeaways or lessons that people could actually use with how they conduct themselves. So like that was kind of the general message at the end of, you know, you can't control everyone else despite the fact that there are, you know, increasing psychological behavior studies and, you know, new tools on YouTube and other comment systems that can maybe work in some ways, but at the end of the day, you know, it's ultimately about, you know, how you conduct yourself and, and you know, me admitting ways that I've screwed up and, and hopefully giving people a chance to, to think about that. And that being sort of the way uh, I approached it. But if you get a chance to, to watch it during the week, you know, we could we could revisit it because I'd be curious to think about what uh, what you thought about some of that stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, what I will say about, you know, what, what I caught of it and what I, what, you know, I was able to pick up from, from reading what people had to say about it, and I will probably watch the rest of it today, um, is that... You know, I think you did a very good job of taking, you know, a story and, a, and you know, a number of situations because, you know, when I came in, it was right around the time when you were kind of getting into the, the, the end of the GTA stuff. Mm. Um, and I think that you took a thing that is, you know, seemed like it might be very video game specific, you know, like like it might, if you didn't care about video games, why would I be listening to this person talk about this? And I think you did a pretty good job of presenting that information in a way that did have some, you know, broad spectrum understanding and appeal and sort of like make it understand like why this isn't just about video game culture or anything, why it has kind of like a larger connotation, sort of a larger, you know, consequence to it that actually means something to someone outside of your particular realm. Yeah, so. and, I, and I'll point out as, as some people in the chat are, are bringing up, like TEDx is a very different thing than right. TED, um, you know. Not to be too blunt, but a lot of it is a quality thing. Um, sure. The, the TEDx are independently organized events where a lot of the speakers are are, are local, um, and it's a lot of first-time speakers. So it's that's satellite why, events, basically. Yeah, they're satellite events. So you know, hopefully, you know, I, I tried to make sure and, and and make that clear before the event actually happened. But you know, that's you know, things hit, things miss. You know, I watched people uh, that were you know, putting together their speeches at the last second um, during the rehearsals the night before, um, which I tried to avoid by, you know, my my feeling was it's writing a speech uh, is kind of like anything else you do um, in that at some point you just say it's good enough or this is the best I can do without starting over. And you kind of just have to cut your losses and move on. And so I I finished writing the speech about a, a week and a half ago and then said, you know, based on what I, how I understand public speaking works, but based on what I'd watched was that it's half performance, half content, and mm-hmm. you can have the best written speech in the world, but if you just sit there and read it, 
it's it's not nearly as effective, uh, especially for the audience in the room. You know, maybe for for video that that plays less. But uh, so then I spent you know half my time basically just trying to get it down so that I didn't have to worry right. about remembering what I had to say and could focus on you know emphasis and and having better slides and like being able to you know sort of like make the ending sound a little more powerful. Like I was trying to make it sort of like a rallying cry and. Uh, so I focused a lot on that stuff. So, you know, at the end of the day, I, I hope people, you know, got got something out of it. But it was, you know, for me personally, it was much more about the exercise of going through it and seeing if it was something I could do in the future. Because there's like if, if I had had 30 more minutes, there's like a lot a lot of really interesting stuff that I think I think one of the valid criticisms of, of my talk that people have brought up is that it was it still was very personal. I tried to bring in some stuff like some studies and some things that other other publications and websites are doing to sort of curb similar uh, things I was talking about in the talk. But there is a lot of science out there. Like we're just at the very beginnings of, of academia and, and science and psychology starting to look at uh, internet culture and finding right. ways to uh, curb some of the more complicated instances of of internet culture, for example, you know, one of the ones I didn't get to, to bring up, but like League of Legends, for example, has been experimenting with color, where mm-hmm. in the loading screens, certain colors predispose you to more aggressive comments when you are playing the game, when you win, you lose, and they have found by just changing the colors that players see before they start a game, it changes by a noticeable percentage how they act. So there's a lot of really interesting stuff happening that, that I did just did not have time for, and I actually went... Fortunately, I was the last speaker, so I kind of let put all of the stuff into my speech instead of worrying about cutting it down to like the 18 minutes I was supposed to do. Uh, and I went, I think I went for 19 and a half. But there, like, I easily could have gone for another 10 minutes where it was mostly talking about a lot of the science because I think a lot of what's going to curb this stuff in the future is a combination of personal responsibility. But that's not enough. There, there is actual, you know. There's going to have to be some psychology that's behind the scenes that actually ends up sort of curbing some of this behavior, um, and so it's, I, I would like to explore some of that stuff in the future for sure. You think you want to? So you think you'd uh, you'd you would do this again? You would definitely try for this again? Yeah, I, I, yeah. I I, th- I feel like th- this talk went as well as I wanted to go, and I feel like it's a first draft of of something that could be a lot better than it is, and um, so yeah, I th- I, you know, I don't know the venue or how it would work. You know, maybe it's something I pitch for packs. I'm not I'm not quite sure. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd like to do it again. And, and one thing I would like to, to, before we move on, point out is, um, so the, the live stream chat was, uh, for, I was actually about to ask about that. Yeah. Was, 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 was particularly bad. And, and, and I know that people said, well, you should have just, um, made it live, uh, to, you know, kind of make your point. Um, and I would like to, to, to at least make clear, especially because uh, people watching this are from giant bomb that I know that that was not, uh, by and large, the giant bomb audience, um, the 4chan uh, board uh, caught wind of the talk and sort of made a targeted attempt to uh, disrupt any sort of uh, discussion in there. Um, how you deal with communities uh, like that—that's—that's um, that's something I haven't spent a lot of time uh, considering or looking into. Um, it gets really complicated uh, when you have uh, communities by design uh, that choose to sort of go out um, and sort of point their cannons uh, outward. Mm-hmm. And that's certainly not of all of 4chan. I'm sure there are plenty of of completely decent 4chan communities, uh, including the ones in uh, Slash V, which I think is the video game one. Uh, but my understanding, uh, especially based on some of the stuff I saw in my Tumblr account after uh, I finished the talk, was uh, that there was a, an intentional uh, attempt to disrupt any anything happening in that chat. So uh, do know that I, I know that it wasn't uh, the Giant Bomb community, and I appreciate uh, you know you guys you know going for to bat for me in there when 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 that was happening. Um, but you know, there's only, you know, that, that again, it did and didn't illustrate what I was talking about. Um, it did in a sense that, you know, people choose to chose to be jerks to try and, uh, uh, disrail any discourse, but you know, places like 4chan are extremely complicated. Um, and, and, uh, there's a lot of nuance there. You kind of have to sit there is, it's it's, it's a, yeah, it's it's a very specific type of community and, and I, and I don't, I don't have a whole. You know, especially because I just got finished saying doing a talk where I, I thought I thought through a lot of what I had to say about that kind of stuff. I'm I'm almost at this point reluctant to say too much about it because um, I would almost want to do some more research uh, into it. But uh, it certainly does, you know, speak to a vocal minority uh, trying to disrupt uh, a larger group uh, enjoying themselves. And so, in some ways, it did 
absolutely justify uh, some of the unfortunate behavior that, that I talked about uh, in my speech. But uh, that speech is over. And yes, it is. How was how was your weekend? You had you had well, like a relaxing weekend, right? Yeah, I did. I, uh, I I didn't really play any video games, so this is not going to be about video games. So if you don't like me not not talking about video games, by all means, tune out right now. It's don't Monday. Talk. It's whatever. It's Monday. Who gives a shit? Uh, yeah, no. Uh, girlfriend and I decided to take a little road trip this weekend. Uh, to do some some morbid stuff. Uh, just because you know around Halloween, that's when you kind of want to do that kind of thing. Uh, so we drove out uh to originally as uh, we started out in Fall River, Massachusetts, which is a uh, home of the infamous Borden murders of the uh, late 1800s, and we actually God stayed damn. in the Lizzie Borden murder house, which Jeez, is now kind man. of a chintzy. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of a chintzy bed and breakfast. Like they 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 definitely sell it on the hey, you want to come sleep in a murder house? Come sleep in this murder house kind okay. of thing. Um. Not definitely not the nicest place you could stay in. I mean, it's a nice house, but it's you know the business is a little bit more of a novelty than it is like you know an actual like nice you know place to stay. Uh, but they give a good tour. They talk you through a lot of the events. They have a lot of weird artifacts there and stuff from from the the the, the time of the murders. And if you're into you know sleeping in murder houses, it's definitely a murder house you can sleep in i'll say that did anything weird happen nothing weird probably happened. uh my tire blew out on the way out there uh, <laughs> that's pretty good yeah so that was fun uh, no nothing really weird happened um they they showed off you know a bunch of like paranormal pictures and other weird shit that was happened that had happened there before but nothing happened to us other than just kind of like a couple of weird creepy feelings but it's a creepy house so you know you can't it is what it is well i mean part of that stuff is you know, if you are predisposed to enjoying that stuff, which if you guys yeah. are going off and having a trip like this, you are. We are. Like, I think I think one of the things that people that don't like being scared or aren't prone to being scared don't understand is that, like, people that, that want to enjoy that, like, you sort of have to let down your guard and, like, you sort of let your imagination start filling it in because you, mm-hmm. cause you, want, cause you, want, you want to be scared. So you sort of allow yourself to be scared in situations that, you know... You know that, that, that there's nothing wrong, and that you you wouldn't be scared if you you can almost choose to be scared because right. it's fun. Yeah. Um, and so that's why you go to those sorts of places so that you can so you can have that. And that's awesome. My I, my wife yeah. and I have talked about doing that all the time, but we've not actually gone to a murder house. But now that you have, I feel like I need to step up my game. Yeah, it was you know it was a cool experience. I'm glad I did it. Uh, you know I don't know if I would go back again because I feel like I kind of done it now. But uh, sure. it was cool. And then Saturday, we drove up to Salem just because I'd never seen Salem during the throngs of October, which I'm told, I'd been told by many people was a total shit show. Like, it's basically, you know, Halloween-themed Mardi Gras in that town for an entire month. Wow. Um, okay. And it's not, it's not, it's not inaccurate. There are, like, you go out on the street in Salem uh, this weekend, and it was just, like, throngs of people in costume uh, or, you know, just their usual warlock garb, uh, you know, hanging out in front of, like, their witchcraft store. And, you know, there's, like, people giving candlelight tours and paranormal investigations going on and all sorts of crazy shit, you know, like, historical tours of, of you know, Salem witch-burning places and such. Uh, do you, do you get a just... sense that, like, that any of those people have, like, a real... Like, does it just feel ex- like exploitative, or do do a lot of those people have like a like real deep understanding of like the history of that place and the significance of some of the events that occurred there? I think some people do. I think a lot of people are just tourists. Okay. Um, let me put it this way: I was walking around uh, the street, and we saw the same drunk family like seven times, belligerently, <laughs> like in totally different places. Like we would just keep walking, and then somehow they'd be ahead of us, we, and then behind us. Like we don't like I, I wasn't sure if they were just drunk ghosts or what, but. Uh, there were just tons of like random drunk people just kind of wandering around belligerently shouting, woo, Salem, shit like that, you know? And then, then there's the guy in guy liner and, you know, warlock garb hanging out in front of the witchcraft store, you know? So it's sort of like, I think that guy probably takes his shit a little bit more seriously than, you know, some of the other people who come to town looking right. to, you know, just kind of party and hang out with brown morbid shit. Um, for our part, we just kind of wanted to see the sites and see what it was all about and, you know... I bet that town's real nice 11 months out of the year. I bet living there in October is just absolute fresh hell every single year. It's probably I where they make all their money, it. though. Yeah, there is that. Um, it's a, But it is a nice town. Like, they actually have, like, a, like down, downtown, there's a really nice comic book store that has, like, a ton of stuff. There's a really nice independent <laughs> video game store there that's really cool. That's like, a, they wait, a bunch oh, of- my. It's, you, should, you should have, I, I demand 
Did you go in the video game store? Yeah, I went in there, and they had, like, a ton of, like, used, like, Genesis and, you know, Nintendo 64 cartridges and, like, all this other stuff, and it was kind of, like, a nice little store. It was called you Game should have bought. You should have bought a video game from the Salem video game store. I, you know, I was kind of in a hurry, so I just kind of wanted to look <laughs> around and see what they had. Um, it was a nice, nice little shop, and there was a dog sleeping on the counter. It was great. Um, but, yeah, so that was that was kind of our trip, and then yesterday on the way home, we stopped by the, uh, the, the, there's a, there's an armory museum in Worcester, Massachusetts. Like, it's, like, this giant armory building, and they have, like, tons of, like, old suits of armor and weapons and stuff from, like, medieval and, like, even, you know, BC times. Like, like just really ancient-ass, you know, weapon artifact stuff. My girlfriend really wanted to see that, so I went and checked that out, too. So it's just kind of like a tour-around, see-weird, death-related kinds of things sort of weekend, I guess. Yeah, we're, we're thinking about trying to go to a haunted house, but... Katie's out of town all week, but she gets in on Saturday uh, afternoon. And in San Francisco, no haunted houses. None. Zip. There is nothing around there unless you go significantly outside of the city. You have to go really south or or really north. I don't know know why. You would think Mm. that, you know, there would be something. San Francisco has houses, but they just, there's just not that much. So we never really did anything in our, in our years out there, but out in the Midwest, you know, it's like there are catalogs of haunted houses. Um, so right. we're going to try and maybe think about going to one on, on Saturday night. We're not – there's nothing like this around right now, but there's one coming that's famous in Los Angeles and New York, and it's coming to Chicago in December for some reason. But it's one of these extreme haunted houses. It might be one that I almost went to and then eventually chickened out of going to. If, if I, it's don't, the one I don't – I don't – is it the, the one where they like they grab you, make you go through the whole thing by yourself, and yeah, then, like yeah, will and, and touch you constantly? Yeah, where you have to sign like a waiver, and you That's have a safe, one. and you have a safe word. Uh, there, there are there, there's a series of these like this. I, I don't know if there's a term for them. I just kind of call them extreme haunted houses because they 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 cross a line that it that goes beyond what you can normally consider of a haunted house of just sure. walking through with some friends, looking at creepy things, and occasionally there being uh, jump scares. But so these extreme haunted houses. Uh, the, yeah, there's one coming in December, and I had I had said no, I don't want to do that, and then Katie has insisted that we do it. So we'll see. I, I have until December to try and convince her to not do it. But let me just point out in New York because it changes every year, so this isn't sort of a spoiler. In New York, th- last year they just straight waterboarded you. Yeah, I, I've heard of that. Um, and what I what, what I remember from a couple of years ago was that there was like a whole serial killer aspect where they dragged you into a room and threw you down on a dirty old mattress next to a woman who was like tied up and screaming. Yeah, while there's... this dude like sharpened knives next to you and started doing all this really fucked up shit. Yeah, it, I I I was going to go to that, and the reason I was going to go was because my girlfriend was super into it. And then within like a week before we were going to go, she chickened out, and that was my out. I was like, all right, I'm not doing it either. We're not doing this. Yeah, I read a write-up of one of the – a walkthrough of one of the other years. Like, and there was – like, the first – like, the way they even take you into it is that you stand in front of a door, and at some point the door swings open, someone grabs you by the shirt and just pulls you in. Yeah. And then the first one that you went into, you were you were thrown onto a table. Something was put over your head. They took a hammer, and they just start hammering the hammer up and down, like, this, this wooden table mm-hmm. – and then there's another one where you they throw like a plastic bag over your head and then something just starts making out with you through the bag and you're not sure if it's a man or a woman and oh. yeah yeah uh, yeah. Another making out through a bag, not a thing that I ever really want <laughs> yeah. to experience in my life. I know, I know. So I, it, it lasts, I think, only like 15 minutes. It's it's a very brief amount of time. But and, and you do have a safe word, you know, you don't, you know, if, if something becomes too extreme. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I, you know, kind of like when I wrote up about the Oculus Rift for a long time, that has just been sort of a line for me. Like that just doesn't sound fun like that. That goes a little bit over uh, the line of what I consider sort of dealing and scaring uh, yourself for, for fun. But yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Maybe maybe I'll get I'll get like you and, and she'll chicken out at the very end. Patrick, what's your safe word? TED Talk. TED Talk? TED Talk. That's my safe word. I'll go into my other stressful place. I mean, to be fair, that would kind of suck all the, you know, the the, the fun energy out of the room if you just started saying TED Talk over and over <laughs> again. <laughs> yeah. No, so that could be one of the horror that someone could be giving a terrifying TED Talk in the corner. Um, 
that's what I'll do. I'll just I'll just join I'll just join them in the corner. Um, yeah. So so you didn't play any games this weekend? No, no, no Pokemon while I you were on the road. I didn't even bring Pokemon with me. We were driving most of the time. You know, didn't have a whole lot of time to to mess around on the 3DS. So I'm gonna play some more of that this week. I've I've, I've got Stanley Parable loaded up. I'm gonna play that. Uh, the shit. Uh, Jeff's review went up yesterday. Uh, yeah, we got off the we we off the hook. We thought one of yeah. us was gonna have to to do that uh, today or tomorrow. But um, I'm actually I couldn't have been more excited to get home on Sunday and see that Jeff reviewed it because he is exactly mm-hmm. the person. I wanted to see what he thought of that. And his yeah. his review was exactly how I thought Jeff would review that game. Totally. Which was super mechanically, but also, like, I love at the end where he's kind of like, if you're not into all of these sort of critique, uh, narrative bullshit, you can just enjoy it because it's pretty funny. Which is exactly how I thought Jeff would review that game. And I'm glad, yep. I'm glad that he really enjoyed it because um, when I had played that original mod... It also came across as exactly the type of thing that Jeff would fucking hate. Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, Jeff is notorious. I mean, look, Jeff has played a hell of a lot of video games in his day. Um, he is what I would consider notoriously one of the hardest dudes to please uh, when it comes to just games in general. Like, yeah. I mean, there are certainly things that I think you can kind of guarantee will be a Jeff game. Something well, he knows he what he really likes. Like. He knows yeah. exactly what he likes. He has been doing this for so long, and especially as a reviewer, you you break down so much about what works and doesn't work for you that, yeah. you know, Jeff is, you know, things surprise him, like, you know, liking Persona 4. But, like, you know, he is definitely a guy that I think he wears his tastes on his sleeve and he would not apologize for that at all. Yeah, I think I think with me, some, there have been games Jeff liked or didn't like that I did like, but there have rarely been games Jeff liked that I did not end up enjoying <laughs> because of the fact that he is sort of like, you know, he's very... He's very. He knows exactly what he likes, and he's very thoughtful about it. And you know, when something does make him happy, he is nothing if not effusive about it. So that that can be kind of infectious, I think. Yeah. So I, I, I'm I'm looking forward to playing that as well. Uh, because I'm also uh, this 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 showed up today, so I'm gonna, hey. I'm gonna play some some wrestling this week. We'll see how that that turns out. Yeah, you had uh, some embargo stuff. Up, oh, right? I did. Yeah. Yeah, I played so I had some stuff that came up over embargo last week that I just didn't get around to talking about on Friday cuz you know, we had a lot to talk about that day. Yeah. Um I had to check a into a games. hotel. Yeah, I had I had some things to do. So, uh we had we had a couple of games I played. I played uh, the new Need for Speed uh on on the next gen. I played it on PS4. Uh which I had not really touched that game much at all. I had seen an E3 demo, but I had not really gone hands on with it. I don't really messed with it. I didn't really like the last Need for Speed that much. Uh the one two Need for Speeds ago I really liked. The last the, one I didn't really care for. Right. So what was the, the last first one? the first Criterion one and then you didn't care for the last Criterion one, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's that that sounds that sounds correct. Um so I played this one um, for, I don't know, probably a solid like 20 minutes, half an hour. Did some of the, the cop stuff and some of the racing stuff. They were mostly there showing off the kind of like seamless multiplayer stuff where you're just driving around the world and you'll see other cars and you can kind of challenge them to races kind of as, as you go. Uh, you and your friends kind of being in the same world, just doing whatever you want kind of stuff. Similar to, I guess, like, you know, a GTA Online or, you know, what they're talking about doing with Watch Dogs. Uh and, you know, that stuff uh, all seems really, really good. You know, you can just literally, if you just happen upon someone, you can just instantly challenge them to a race. Uh, they showed off some of the the second screen stuff. When I, we were talking about second screen experiences last week, and mm-hmm. I was saying that, you know, there was one thing I had seen that maybe wasn't super necessary. That was the one I was talking about because uh, they were showing off, like, basically how you can, you know, when your friends are playing and you're not, you can go on to the, the, the iPad and you can sort of, like, you can kind of mess with it. You can, I think you can like send them items and you can kind of like, kind of, you know, there, there, there's not a lot you can do with it. You can kind of just sort of like poke around and kind of mess with their game while you're going. But it didn't seem like it was a whole lot of really interesting shit you could do on that stuff. But as far as the game itself goes, uh, it looks really, really good. I mean, it's a, it's a 30 frame per second game. It's not a 60 frame, but like, visually detail wise like you can see the difference in the ps4 version like there's like little droplets of water and stuff and like like a lot of little you know fringe details in that game that are really really good and i think that mechanically just driving wise it felt a lot better to me than the last one like i didn't i don't know something about the feel of the last one just didn't do it for me like i i got a few hours into it and i kind of just fell off of it 
Uh, this one, I just I got into it, and then I realized, oh, hey, wait a minute, this demo's over with, I have to go. Uh, so I'll say that that game is actually looking really, really good. They also showed uh, Peggle 2, which is totally Peggle, but again. So, so like, not, I mean, nothing particularly different, like, mechanically at all? For, for I mean, they, obviously, there's there's new, uh, uh, what, I don't forget what they call them, the Peggle Professors or whatever they are, and they all have different abilities and stuff, uh, the new ones, and there are obviously tons of, you know, levels, uh, and there are a few little, there are a few little things they've, they've, they've jiggered with the formula, but for the most part, it's like, it, it's totally Peggle, but honestly, when, remember how long ago Peggle came out? That yeah. That was like, a while ago. Yeah, in fact, I found myself a couple of weeks ago booting up uh, Peggle on the iPad and had forgotten pretty much everything about it. And you know what? That basically felt like Peggle 2. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, that... But the thing is, once again, despite it being, uh, you know, more Peggle, I totally lost myself in it instantly. Like, I played through, like, 15 levels before I'd kind of realized where the time had gone. And uh, it, it has that that whole thing just that pop cap thing of you know once you kind of fall down the rabbit hole of a pop cap game you kind of it's hard to come back up for air so it's a weird Peggle game because it's, it's exactly the type of game that like on its face i really shouldn't like because i, I don't know it just seems like so mindless but it yeah it has a there's just enough player agency and enough that you feel like you can influence what does happen that you kind of keep coming back to it. Yeah. It reminds me, I I, the, I don't know how to describe it other than to say it feels like one of those games where it's like, yeah, you're, you're doing just enough, but there's also so much random happen, you know, random circumstance in there that it just sort of like, you can just kind of watch it unfold in front of you. And it just kind of hits these weird pleasure centers in your brain as you're watching it bounce around and do all these, you know awesome things that are getting you all these points and you're just like ah just kind of lulling back like that one star trek the next generation episode where they're all like you know hooked into that one virtual reality game that they're using to mind control <laughs> right. people that's what it is is PopCap is actually just you know trying to create a hostile world takeover through their use of casual games it's terrible it's terrifying mm -hmm. so the, any, anything else there that, that you can talk about or is worth those even mentioning those were the two that the EA showed. I also went to a brief Capcom uh, appointment where they showed me that uh, Strider reboot that they got coming up. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, that, which, I mean, totally looks, you know, like Strider. I mean, it's it's an original game. It's not a remake, uh, but it is definitely in the vein of what you remember of classic running around, stabbing dudes, jumping around, you know, kind of free traversal style stuff uh, in Strider. You know, it, it's, it's a nice looking game. Uh, trying to think of anything like super, I mean, it's, you know, I hate the term, but it is a straight-up Metroidvania-style game. You know, there's a lot of, a you know, there's a, a not an open world exactly, but there's a lot of, like, rooms and extra areas that you can't access until you get certain abilities. So they're kind of, you know, you have to do a fair amount of exploration in it. And the action feels good, but, you know, it's 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 a downloadable Strider game. So, it you know, you kind of know what to expect going into it. It feels like they've nailed the kind of Strider aesthetic and, and, and play style, I think. I think Double Helix is making it, so... Yeah, well, yeah, I was going to say, 2013, the year in which Double Helix tries to make you forget that they are Double Helix. Uh, right. they've got Killer Instinct, which, put aside what you think about Killer Instinct, people seem to think that game looks pretty great. Even when I've watched the videos, I'm surprised how, you know, I'm, it's not gonna, it's not for me, but, like, it looks, it looks pretty damn good for a new Killer Instinct, I, I wish it had more fighters, I think. But other than that, I, I gameplay-wise, I don't think there's anything really wrong with that game. It didn't yeah. seem like it, at least in the brief time I played it. So yeah, so you know, you know, good on Double Helix, I guess. Hopefully, they, I mean, I guess they, you know, the, those games got to turn out good. Uh, we'll we'll see how that stuff pans out in the end. But certainly, they are they're doing well so far to sort of make you forget uh, some of their history because it only takes a brief look at the games they've worked on to get you really bummed out that they would be working on a new Killer Instinct and uh, a new Strider. So, yeah, we'll see. Totally. That's about what I got, though. Yeah, so. I haven't... I, I, I didn't play anything over the weekend, so... Uh, but I Here's you know, a question for you. Uh-huh. Did you read that Battlefield 4 story in the New York Times? No, but I saw a lot of people talking about it on, on Twitter in a, uh, let's say, not particularly positive context. It, it had, feels some, like had some weird quotes, I guess. I don't know how to describe it other than to say it feels like my dad was assigned to write about the video game industry by the New York <laughs> Times and his entire the entire crux of his research was what he was able to google in an hour. Okay. Uh just Which whatever is weird he was able to 
they have between Kotaku and um, Chris Solanthrop, right? He's their yeah, their, their man. Like he like he's good people. Like yeah, I, it would be weird having not read the article. It would be strange for them to assign someone to sort of present a disingenuous view of games because they don't have anyone else you know on staff uh, to to write about it. It's it, the New York Times coverage has been really weird since Seth Scheisel left because um, mm. he was their video, number one video game guy for many many years, and then yep. they switched over to this model where they're licensing content from Kotaku, and they do have people like Chris writing for them. Though I don't know if he's full time; he might just be a freelance contributor or you know editor at large or something. I don't really know what his role there is entirely. I had never heard of this guy before. I didn't really know uh, what the profile was supposed to be about initially, and I started reading it, and I had even less idea by the time I got through it. Um, the whole crux of the thing is so weird because it talks about Battlefield 4 as though it is the, uh, the tipping point for the entire video game industry this fall. Like, that game, if that game does not succeed, the soul of video games will be lost and video game consoles will die. And it actually uses, like, he uses data, like, saying that the PS3 and the 360 have fallen off sales 40% in the last couple of years as though that were some damning point you know, eight years into a console life cycle. Does he make note uh, that there are new consoles launching? And that would I mean, he does, but he doesn't use he doesn't contextualize it in any way that actually is true. Like right. he contextualizes as if to say those numbers are somehow damning to the overall industry, as opposed to just kind of the natural slide of hardware that's like eight years old. Um, and he also, I mean, it's just like and you know he throws out those Wii U numbers without any real context either you know for what's going on there as far as like the 3DS stuff or anything else it just it reads like someone who did not really understand the video game industry kind of threw together some information based on what he had casually heard about the video game industry and it was extremely disappointing because you expect the New York Times even as a mainstream outlet covering the video game industry to just do something a little bit better than that and they, and they have generally they 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 have done a good job of you know, in the last couple of years, you know, sort of aligning, you know, the people, you know, a lot, whatever you think of Kotaku, you know, having yeah. st- someone like Steven Totillo, who is an excellent reporter, an excellent editor, you know, filing stories uh, for the New York Times. Um, Chris Selenthrop is a, is a great critic. Um, it just seems like, you know, I just p- quickly perused this, this, this Times article about Battlefield 4. It just seems like th- trying to, it seems like a feature piece about Battlefield 4 extrapolated to generate or, or present a larger narrative about video games that that maybe isn't true, um, right? And like someone over there didn't think that a straight up profile of that game and that studio was interesting enough for a story on its own, and they had to kind of soup, you know, sauce it up a little bit to try and make it more interesting. Yeah, like I mean, if if, if the story wanted to be about you know sort of the industry's obsession with with war, using Battlefield Four as as sort of a central piece of that, like they would they would have a point there. Like they you could yeah. do something with that, but. The idea of it's a battle for the industry's soul, I think, is maybe maybe overstating it, especially given how much 2013 has been. Uh, you know, we just talked about the Stanley Parable. Like, there's a whole, there's a lot. Games are getting really weird, and they're doing very well financially for for smaller folks. So I think I think that may be sort of missing the point. Um, in, yeah, in some I, of that. I think it misses a lot of points. And I was just, I, I I present it to you as something you know, you and I, I think, are equally fascinated by instances where mainstream press tries to cover video games, you know, yeah. to, to varying degrees of success. And this seemed like, to me, one of the bigger failures I had seen from a mainstream outlet in a long time. Weird. So, yeah, it was just surprising, surprising on every level that that thing made it through the way it did. Yeah. Uh, let's see, there there was not much that happened in terms of news uh, over the weekend. Um, a couple of little things. Was yeah. I'll, uh, so I at least mentioned now, if people want to uh, shoot some questions into the chat, uh, we'll run through uh, these headlines and we'll answer some of your questions before we uh, slow down the show. I will say I mm-hmm. thought it was uh, I thought it was cool that because uh, the way that uh, iOS like uh, uses uh, some of the databases it pulls from for its Siri um, feature is the fact that uh, Wolfram Alpha added all of the Pokemon information. So now your iPhone and iPad is now a Pokedex where you can just, Mm. you can speak different Pokemon into, uh, into your, your iPhone or iPad and it will pull up straight up. Like you can ask like, what type of Pokemon is Pikachu? The answer is electric and then has a bunch of information about that Pokemon. That's, I think that's really rad. I think that's really dumb in a really great way. I think that's spectacular. Uh, It's spectacularly dumb and I approve of it on every level. Uh, 
Yeah, I've got like literally two things here. Did you see that NBA Live 14 trailer that I put up like right after we finished our show? No, no, I I, I had to, to to run off and and start the rehearsal stuff. But uh, yeah, I should have. I meant to ask you what you thought of that, and that seems like that trailer was dropped so they could just get a trailer out and prove that they existed. It doesn't look good. It looks bad. Oh, it looks. You're saying it looks bad. It's um. I mean, look. It doesn't look like complete disaster right uh-huh. up front, but running that right after that NBA 2K14 trailer. Yeah. Mmm. That is some like 2K Sports versus 989 football fucking PS2. Wow! Like, wow! That is look, a deep cut. That's not looking good. That's, that's not a deep looking good. cut. Yeah. Ooh. Didn't look real hot. Uh, let's. I'm. I'm hoping. I'm. Maybe it plays better. I don't know. Don't know. Just saying visually. Some real rough shit going on in that game, so we'll see. Um, also, the Wii has officially stopped production. We talked about that a while ago, mm-hmm. that it was gonna. Now it officially has. Patrick, what was your favorite Wii game of all time? Super Mario Galaxy. I think that's... that's, that's it, the, you, st- you stole mine! That's the one that comes right to mind. Yeah. I mean, so Super Mario Galaxy is probably my favorite uh, Wii game. I, I think I still have the fondest memories of Wii Sports. I sure. think, you know, obviously that machine was defined by the thing that defined it early on. And I have so many awesome memories of that machine in its first year, probably the first two years, playing that with a lot of people that don't really usually play video games. And right. and that brought a bunch of people together into something that I enjoy very much and allowed me to share in that with a lot of people that don't usually appreciate the the thing that I appreciate on a daily basis. And... I think the Wii is often forgotten for how much it did that for people, and that was totally. that was really meaningful to me at that at that time. I mean, like my my mom has not played a video game since Tetris on the Game Boy, which she became completely obsessed with. She was obsessed with Tetris, and she has not touched a game since. She's got nothing against games; it's just not something she spends uh, her time with. But she really likes sure. puzzles, so you know it makes sense why she really got into to Tetris and. When the Wii came out, like before I left to, to go out one night to meet up with some friends, she asked, can you set up the Wii so I can play baseball? And like that made me laugh so hard Aww. to think about I was going out to the bar and here is my mom at home swinging for the fences with a goddamn Wii remote. Um, and that's, that was, that's just so cool. And that's not a story you hear about uh, very often with all sorts of other video games, uh, no. you know, largely due to the controls being very difficult and it's why as much as the connect has been rightly uh shat upon i applaud the audacity of trying to find new ways to get people into a medium that i really care about uh and recognizing the fact that controllers are going to be a burden for many generations of people that are just never going to take the time to learn how to use a controller so but with all of that said mario galaxy is still like the best oh god damn like that team 100%. like i'd I don't. I don't know. That's still the high. That's still the highest score I ever gave a, gave a game spot. Which is what? Nine five. Okay. Yeah, that's the only. In fact, that's the only thing above like a nine, nine probably three or something I ever gave when I was a game spot. So that that game still is very near and dear to my heart. Yeah. Um. So yeah. I mean, the Wii has more games, uh, that are worth playing than people probably give it credit for. I never ended up playing, sure. despite Nick Sutner's obsession with it. Um, Zack and Wiki. Uh, the Capcom. Oh, game. Zach and Wiki, rad. That yeah. game is super rad. It is, that is one of those games that sort of when I think about games that I'd actually like to go back to in terms of a backlog, like that one is pretty far up on the list of the people that played that were driven out of their minds that more people didn't care about it. So. Oh yeah, it was it was a colossal failure sales wise, and it was it's so depressing. Though I mean, you look at it, it doesn't look like anything. It looks like you know a knockoff from like some japanese children's television show you've never seen before um but as soon as you start playing it you realize oh wow they've actually made something that is like perfectly attuned to what the wii is with this game like it the puzzle designs in that game and the use of the wii's limited visual capabilities to its own you know purposes like that game had no right to be as great as it was but that game was super great i remember being just blown away by how much fun that was not expecting anything from it anything at all yeah uh, so yeah, so that is that is our Wii nostalgia hour. Uh, thank you. There we go. Um, That's all the news I got. So I think it's uh, so it's this the Sonic Lost World reviews have been lousy. Mm. 
Yeah. I guess the I read 3D, a couple of them. I guess the 3DS one is better, but I don't I don't know if that is Not according to Phil Kohler, who was who was talking some mad yang about that version. Okay. Well, I was trying to hold out hope. I had heard that, you know, it or the idea of just playing a Sonic Mario Galaxy knockoff uh, certainly has some sort of appeal, but looks like that didn't really uh, pan out. Let's see. Uh, the John Carmack starting to give some of his first interviews now that he is the CT uh, CTO over at uh, Oculus. Uh, I had been my understanding had been that there was only going to be one Oculus dev kit uh, before the game had a retail launch, uh, but it sounds like they're actually going to do a second one. Um, they haven't said mm. when it's going to happen, but it's going to come out before the retail unit. My guess is that it was, you know, if I had to just shoot from the hip, that this would be something that happens sometime in the spring. Um, right. Definitely curious to see what that ends up being. Um, you saw they had the Oculus on the Today Show recently, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah I heard about that. Um, yeah, I, I think trying to get out there. I think the Oculus is going to be a big deal. I think. I think so. Uh, yeah, I was talking about this with some some giant bomb guys uh, and gals. There were both uh, in Dearborn, and one of the things that we talked about that I I still haven't quite figured out how it'll play out is that if you let's assume that the rumors that Sony's working on their own VR headset are true. I think if I think the biggest thing that could hurt VR going forward, given that it's going to be an accessory to a PC or to a console, I hope that the differences between the different technologies are not insurmountable so that people can focus on making VR games and not worrying about making a Sony VR game or an right. Oculus VR game. Uh, I don't know enough about the underlying technology and we don't know anything about you know, Sony's, if it actually comes to fruition or what practically they're they're setting out to do. But I would hope that it doesn't become competing VR platforms and instead just becomes, right. you know, a value add for different platforms that just support VR. Uh, as right. opposed Games that support VR in general with multiple device, you know, possibilities th- kind of thrown in there perhaps. Yeah, there will certainly be, <clears throat> you know, exclusive Sony VR games, you know, stuff that's exclusive to the Oculus. Uh, just by the very nature of how that stuff pans out. But, you know, I guess the difference would be like, you know, Wii Remote versus Connect. Um, sure. I hope that if there are competing VR devices, those end up just competing on quality and features and not uh, not on uh, – or, or it doesn't prevent there being games that appear across multiple VR devices because I think that would be the thing that kills it is if, you know, people can't – create for a larger vr platform as opposed to uh you know having to double down on on one platform specifically so we'll see but uh yeah i've heard that people that have played with the 1080p oculus have a hard time going back i have not tried that 1080p one uh but i suppose if this new rift kit is 1080p uh i might i might have to get on that train and see what that's yeah, that like. might be what finally gets me to grab one of those because I was holding out for whenever the retail unit is, but who the hell knows when that's going to be at this point. So if they make a ne- another one that's a you know a dev kit or whatever, but has more of the that is shifting more toward the uh, the the 1080p version, then I might actually have to give that a go. Yeah, I've been having so much fun with mine, and actually that was one of the things that uh, was interesting at the at the TEDx event. I I brought my Oculus with you know they asked different speakers to to bring something to uh to with them and so i brought my mm-hmm. oculus with and that was basically watching a bunch of people that don't know anything about video games uh try that out and it's it's amazing to watch people that go oh vr is stupid and then they <clears throat> they sit down with the oculus and just everyone's jaw on the floor it's totally crazy it's yeah. it's 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 the, the one time i have tried it, it it totally blew my mind so i'm looking forward to more of that all right well you want to answer some questions yeah, yeah, I think we should answer some questions. Uh, a lot of people asking about this Dark Matter game. Some stuff happened over the weekend where uh, yeah. it's a game that was released on Steam. This is the, I have not looked into it too deeply, but this is based on what I briefly saw this morning. But it was a game released on Steam that uh, advertises itself as a complete game. Uh, it ends about four hours in with some text that says to be continued, and the developer has responded to that criticism saying that their Kickstarter was not successful, and thus they were not able to produce uh, the full game that they wanted to. So the series has gone episodic, but the Steam page does not appear to reflect uh, the fact that it is episodic in nature. Uh, And I guess the developers said they are working on a patch that will implement a more satisfying conclusion. Um, I don't know if I I have any, you know, without having played it or or knowing more about it, not sure if I have any thoughts other than that sounds shitty for the people that played it. 
um, is. I think it's. I think it. The fundamental flaw here is that they did not uh, vocalize to people that what they were buying was going to be episodic content, and that they have this. You know, the people think they're playing a game, and then suddenly, you know, four hours in, they're like, "And now here's this text, and it's over with, and we'll see you next time." And that is fundamentally false advertising. Like that's the kind of shit. I mean, even if it, it is just you know false advertising by not advertising, it's still you're not telling people what they're actually getting, and I think that's pretty lame like it's i'm sorry you ran out of money i'm sorry your kickstarter was not successful but if you're still going to put this product out where people can buy it you kind of need to specify these things sorry yeah if you, if you choose to believe you know in the most optimistic scenario that it was just a pure oversight that they they, they weren't intentionally trying to mislead people um you know the first thing they need to do is cop to that and yeah and and explain that to people and you know, think about maybe providing some refunds for for the people that are uh, felt most egregiously misled, because the the worst thing that you could do is double down and just act like the people that are upset are are crazy, um, right? Because I, I think not, you know, disliking an ending is one thing, but feeling like you were misled about the nature of of the game is 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 quite another, and, and it does seem yeah. like they they sort of need to own up. Uh, to this uh, to this right yeah, now. Yeah, put it out there. Say, this is going to be episodic. We do plan to continue it, and this is what it is. Put it right there in bold letters on the Steam page or wherever this is being sold, and you've got no real problem. Like, you're telling people what it is, and that's that. You know, it's just people don't like these kinds of surprises because that's, you know, there's an expectation. There's an inherent expectation built in when you say you are buying a game. And when you buy a game, all, you know, the entirety of a game, there is a beginning, a middle, and an end, and it will have all the features that you expect. <laughs> okay, wait, hold on. So, uh, Big Knife in the chat says, to clarify, the game literally fades to black in the middle of a hallway. <laughs> right. It just, it isn't like Holy they, they crap. there's a boss fight, and then, you know, the game just sort of has a bad ending. It's that oh, they just wow. literally ran out, that you run out of game. Wow. Okay, that's bad. That's. Yeah. Yeah, if okay, then that developer needs to be straight up honest that we ran out of money. Here is what we were able to provide. Like you need to be one hundred percent, yeah, letting know people know what they are getting into. People will forgive you or still be on board if you are honest. But who? Mm -hmm. That's that's rough. Yeah, that, that, that it was it. The 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 YouTube video I saw of it was super jarring. Like what what the fuck? How is this over? Why did this happen? So yeah, yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, people people were talking about this uh, Gary's incident thing. I don't know what happened. Does any, it's, do you know what it's happened? Some, it's, it's something related to uh, the YouTube uh, personality, Total Biscuit, um, right. where a developer uh, used uh, its ability to flag uh, copyright infringement to pull down a video where he was critical of the game. Uh, that uh -huh. I, I don't know much more about it. I'd, I'd be reluctant to say too much more without uh, reading into it. But I do know that, you know, in general, YouTube uh, as is sort of... They have to act reactively to the whims of uh, content holders because of the way the law is currently structured. If a content holder flags something for copyright infringement, they have to bring it down because mm -hmm. they put themselves, uh, they make themselves liable for a lawsuit. Uh, any if they don't comply, it doesn't mean that that's the way the law should be. Doesn't mean that the developer isn't crappy for for doing that. Uh, assuming right. that that's how the story played out. But the, you know, YouTube is 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 only reacting the way that they have to react to the way the law is structured. Uh, the, the well, and also when you consider the sheer volume of no those notices they must get on a day to day basis, like it has to be the only manageable way to deal with that is to just flag it now, deal with it later on once we can actually sort through what it is. Because if you just leave it up and you have all these content creators bitching, that does put you in violation of shit, and that does put you in a real bad position. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, Anthony Watkins asked, "Do you know when Sony and Microsoft are sending journalists the new consoles?" Uh, I do know, but I can't tell you. Uh, but also, it would even if I could was, you tell me, I could tell you. I could tell you what I know. Uh, okay. You know, and and that would actually be you know the honest answer is that anything I even if I wasn't in a place where I can't speak to what I do know, uh, mm -hmm. what I what I would even say is. Is you know could be incorrect tomorrow. Uh, a lot of that stuff is very fluid. Uh, a lot of that stuff is changing every day, and that is true of every console launch. Uh, you know, I'll say like when the when the Wii U launched, we had very little communication from Nintendo on when that was actually happening, and then all of a sudden it was kind of hey, w walk around the block. We have your Wii U's with the entire software lineup. Come get it uh, at a food truck. 
so right. So th- this stuff is changing as they're figuring out what their allocation is. Uh, you know, what publications they want to. Uh, get the most coverage from you know do they want to go mainstream do they want to go enthusiast there's a lot of questions uh, that are happening right now um, and uh, so it's it's tough even saying anything would be uh, would not really make a lot of sense but you know as soon as we're able to, to say anything uh, to, to you guys we will we'll certainly let you know because we are just as excited to you as you are to uh, to actually get our hands on that stuff and see and find out what they've been lying to us about I can tell you when I'm getting mine Oh yeah. The day they come out. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. You know what? That's you know what the two of us can tell you yeah. exactly when we're getting ours because any early machines that come through for Giant Bomb are definitely not going to either of us. No, um, no, no, no. So, so they, so Giant Bombs at Midwest and East Coast exclusive access to the new video game consoles will happen on their launch dates. So there you go. Um, exclusive. You heard it here first. Yeah. Exactly. Number one journalist. Um, Beach Thunder asks, uh, do you get nervous for Bomb the Am and Spookin' and other live stuff? And I guess if we made that question more generally, uh, like when you record stuff, Alex, like, do you feel at all weird? Do you, do you need like some time before you kind of settle in uh, yes. to something? Yeah, I, I'm constantly. I mean, I don't know if you've noticed this about me, but I'm a little nervy about everything. <laughs> uh, I'm maybe a little bit jittery uh, and 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 excitable. And so, yeah, I, this show I've actually gotten pretty good about not getting super nervous. Like, I'm a little butterflies right before we start, but once we, you and I get in the groove of it, I'm usually fine. Uh, but any kind of live thing, whether it's you know in front of an actual audience or online, uh, I am a constant bag of nerves, uh, which I doing everything in my power to to repress you know showing to anyone because i don't want to you know look like a total spaz on camera which i invariably end up doing anyway <laughs> um but yeah I, that's it's you know i i have my own anxiety issues that have nothing to do with you know anything particular to my job or my work but anytime i try to record a video or do anything like that like anytime i do one of those bombastic videos i end up doing like five takes because I either, you know, completely lose my train of thought or I just get off on some nervous tangent. And I'm like, I can't fucking put this up. Um, it's just, it, for me personally, I, it is very hard for me to control that into something that is presentable to people. So it is it is a little hard for me. I don't know how, how you said you get nervous before you go up and, and, and do live things, but I feel like maybe you're a little bit better about controlling it, Patrick. Yeah, the moment that an event starts, whether it's, me being on a panel or you know giving that TEDx talk like once it starts like everything goes away like no nerves I just for whatever reason like once it actually begins all that disappears but uh the run-up to that uh you know it's it's just it's it's a it's a it's a head game you know it's you know you want to present your best self you know especially when you're doing a panel you you know there's an expectation that you're going to be entertaining Uh, you know fortunately we are you know one of the things I like about this show is that we, you know, we are very tonally different than the Bombcast because, like, I'm I am not, you know, I was not like Ryan. I am not like Jeff. I'm not as, you know, I am not like Vinny. Like those guys are so funny that it makes the panel so easy to do because I can just be myself. Like I mm-hmm. can just, you know, be as self serious as I usually am, uh, and not to say that you know I can't be funny, but like I am working alongside people who are much more naturally talented at that sort of stuff and so it relieves a little bit of the pressure knowing that you know if i sort of run out of something to say like there are a bunch of other people who can pick up the slack in in a in a, in a way that you know is reduces my stress that i don't have to worry about it as much because Vinny's going to crack some joke or jeff's going to go on some rant um and we can all kind of rely on each other to to figure that stuff out as we somehow manage to fill three hours despite the dinner before going there's no way we can fill three hours oh yeah and i think i think for me you know early on especially like even in the the, the really early days back when we were doing the hot spot on on GameSpot, you know i think that when you're in a room with people who are you know naturally super entertaining like jeff and i think uh you know ryan was and, and Vinny most certainly is that uh you you want to try and you know match them on some level like you want you feel like you have to to hold up your end of the bargain by trying to be as funny or entertaining as they are and then over time i sort of learned that you know no you just kind of need to be more yourself you know the only way you're ever going to get in a groove with this stuff is if you stop trying to be what they are and just try and you know 
insert yourself into the conversation and into the the presentation by just you know the way you naturally would yeah um so that you know that's something that i had to learn uh over a, a period of time but i eventually i think did and you know but i that doesn't stop me from getting super nervous whenever i do it because i just i think anytime i'm being recorded i feel this like weird personal pressure to try and be like totally on point and perfect even if i don't know what that means even if i have no idea what perfect even translates into i just feel it yeah i think um, i think i think you me and Brad all have, like, despite having done this for a long time, like, the exact same sort of feelings about that stuff every single time. Which I think, honestly, uh, is is also a good thing. Like, I think yeah. it, it's, you know, the fact that, like, I am a little bit nervous, the fact that I, that I do take it as seriously as I do, the fact that I do, you know, want it to be as good as it can be, like, you know, the, the it also, you know, it, it's part of what makes the site work. Like, you know, it's why, like, a Brad and Vinny quick look is so funny because brad yeah brad can be so self-serious and then like someone like a Vinny or jeff just sits there giving him shit for 15 minutes about it and like that's 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 hilarious and it's it maybe comes across as sort of like mean if you're outside of like our group but like we all know that it's just like friendly ribbing and everyone is going to get theirs at some point or another um and and that's that's you know that's part of the reason that the site works totally all right, let's see if I can find one more uh, question right. to end this on. Uh, ba, 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 ba. Hmm. I don't know. Wait. Wait. Mr. Sandman hmm? says, since, since Shadow Man is out on Steam, what are your thoughts on Shadow Man? Why is that game on Steam? I don't believe him. I'm loading up Steam right now. That's weird. Uh, did you see that I have no mouth and I must scream is now on? on I Steam did. As well? That was on. That was on. Uh, good old games. And now, yep, Shadow Man is on Steam. You already own Shadow Man, Patrick Klupik. Wow, that's good to know. Hmm. That's that wasn't that game bad. I don't remember anything about Shadow Man. It was an acclaim game. Well, then it was probably pretty bad. I want to say Shadow Man Two was bad and Shadow Man One was interesting, but that may be. That may be me just filling in the gaps yeah. of uh, history. Uh, I, I think we've, I think we've, uh, we've answered enough. What do you, what are you up to this week? Uh, I'm just gonna be playing some games, uh, trying to get through this WWE review while also uh, playing a few. Like I, I definitely want to spend some time with Stanley Parable, um, and then you know otherwise just kind of getting through what little backlog I have left before you know the the deluge hits us next week. So yeah, that's that's pretty much all I got. What do you got coming up? Yeah, play Stanley Parable. Um, I got, you got your copy of Beyond, so I'm going to try and finish that this week. Cool. And it seems like me going back to Splinter Cell Blacklist is quickly slipping away, but I do want to mm. try and play more than that first level at some point. Um, and then uh, as right as this is over, I need to uh, go in and take one last pass at my, my Blair Witch Project interview, uh, which yes. is going up today. Uh, I had an opportunity, thanks to a giant bomb user, who had a dad that went taught film school when Eduardo Sanchez, who is a co-director uh, on, on the Blair Witch Project, um, managed to put me in touch with him and uh, had a had an awesome 45-minute uh, chat with uh, Eduardo where uh, you know I wasn't quite sure going into it whether this could be an interview mostly about the Blair Witch Project because it's been almost 15 years. You know, I'm sure that every interview with that guy is talking about the Blair Witch Project, so mm-hmm. you know I, I wouldn't blame him for for being tired of it. Uh, but as it turns out, uh, he like could not be happier to. He's one of those guys. It's like people still give a shit about a movie I made. Like why wouldn't I want to talk about that? And that was great. Like that made it so much fun. So I got to talk a lot uh, about like sort of the the a lot of what that movie influenced the found footage genre. What he thinks about some of the more modern examples how he is sort of consulted and talked to by, you know, a lot of the directors that have gotten into that since, like Oren Pelly uh, on Paranormal Activity, um, and then got to geek out. And the one, like, super geeky question that I allowed myself to indulge in uh, was uh, asking about the ending uh, specifically um, and what might have or might not have been happening uh, during those moments. And uh, I thought his That's answer... That's pretty great. I thought his answer was really interesting uh, and... Sort of confirmed what I thought was the case, uh, but uh, it was nice to hear it from from the man himself. So uh, that'll be going up as soon as I'm able to, to read through that transcript one more time. But um, 
And then I'm so glad you got to do that because I I know you've been talking about wanting to, to, to hit those dudes up for a long time. And I know how much you love that movie. So it's sort of great to see that you got to, to, to make that happen. Yeah. You know, didn't get to the, probably the one thing I wanted to ask about, but didn't get to, uh, was being able to ask, uh, about the sequel that they were not involved in, uh, but was made, uh, and the year after uh, that movie came out, because that movie is so bad, so bad. Oh, it's absolutely heinous. I have not seen it since I saw it the f- weekend it came out. I went and saw it. I was such a big fan of the original movie. Went to see it in the theaters, uh, and and that movie was bad. But maybe, oh, yeah. maybe we'll have to leave uh, this conversation for another thing that goes up on on this website. I think that's a good idea. Yeah. So I that will that will be bombing in the end with scoops of the wolf for for this week, Alex. Uh, that was exactly how the audience was during my TED talk. Uh, Absolutely. <laughs> Especially in the chat. Yeah. Oh, uh, if uh, if people uh, want to check that out, uh, uh, someone ripped out uh, the uh, my bit from the live stream, uh, and it is up on uh, YouTube. Uh, if you just search for Patrick Klubik TEDx, uh, I don't. I wouldn't be surprised if if Ted pulled like a copyright claim on that because they will put up a high quality version of that at some point uh, after they edit it together. So if you want to check that out, I don't know how long it'll be up there. Um, Do and it that, fast. And that's not something that I can just put up there myself. Uh, so yeah. if you want to check it out, uh, do that. Uh, otherwise, uh, Alex, I will talk to you on Friday. Later on, dude.